Our scripture lesson today comes from the gospel according to Mark, chapter 12, beginning at verse 38. As Jesus taught, he said, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and to have the best seats in the synagogues and places of honor at the banquets. They devour widows' houses for the sake of appearances and say long prayers, and they will receive greater condemnation. He sat down opposite the treasury, and he watched the crowd putting money into the treasury. Many rich people put in large sums. A poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which are worth a penny. Then he called his disciples and said to them, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the treasury. For all of them have contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. May God bless this reading to our understanding. I'm grateful to Reverend Tyler Heston, who filled the pulpit last Sunday on short notice, preaching on Mother's Day, and he did a marvelous job. Uh, Dave and I were able to worship with you via live stream from home and receive his powerful message. And also we were reminded of the power of the live stream from Dan Warnicke and his entire team making worship um, such a broader experience. John Wooden coached basketball at UCLA and he led his team to 10 NCAA championships, seven of those consecutively. You may know of the legend named John Wooden and his great basketball career, but maybe you don't know that he was also a member of our denomination, the Christian Church Disciples of Christ, an active participant in the first Christian church there in California. After John's wife died rather early of cancer on March 21st, John then lived another 25 years, and every month on the 21st day of the month, he went to the mausoleum to visit her, and then he went home and he wrote her a love letter and placed it upon the pillow where she had slept their entire married life. John was a devoted and a loving man, and this was also a part of his role as a coach. He taught his basketball team the pyramid of success, and he named the third layer of the pyramid of success team spirit. Underneath the word team spirit, he wrote this, the willingness to sacrifice personal interest or glory for the welfare of others. But it didn't work. His players would agree to this pyramid in the locker room, but on the court, they would not pass the ball. They would take shots that they were unlikely to make to promote themselves. They were willing in the locker room, but not on the basketball court. So John made a change to the pyramid of success. Under the words team spirit, he crossed out the word willingness and placed it, replaced it with the word eagerness. He changed it to eagerness to sacrifice personal interest or glory for the welfare of others. <laughs> the players started passing. The team started winning. They emerged as new people, as the kind of ball players who would 
let their lesser selves die so that a new self could emerge. In today's scripture lesson from the Gospel of Mark, we hear about two kinds of givers, those who are willing to give and those who are eager to give. Jesus sits there in the temple courtyard and he watches the people coming and going from worship, coming to worship God, coming to place their gifts in the offering receptacles. He sees the well-to-do folks, the well-educated folks, the ones who are religious leaders. He sees them come in and offer their gifts to God. And then he sees this poor widow, a woman who barely has enough to live on, and she comes bearing two copper coins worth combined one cent, and she gives both coins to God. And Jesus says, psst, psst, disciples, come here, look, look at this woman, look at her deep generosity. He says, she has given more. More? I mean, she has nothing. What is more? What about all those other gifts? She has given more. Well, this scene from scripture reminds me of two images of giving in our own world. This past month, I read about Mackenzie Scott, who has just recently given $436 million to Habitat for Humanity. In fact, Mackenzie Scott has given $12 billion to charity over the last three years. She has given thoughtfully and intentionally to organizations that often get overlooked. I read a few months ago how she had just recently given $1.7 billion to historically black colleges, colleges that don't typically receive large gifts and who have student bodies filled with students who rely almost exclusively on student loans or scholarships. Mackenzie Scott is making a difference in this world, and at the same time, she is clearly one of those givers that Jesus describes who gives out of their abundance because after giving away $12 billion, she's still worth $45 billion. And note, Jesus does not criticize this kind of giving in today's text. But it also reminded me of another image of giving, One that I saw in Honduras when I was traveling with our medical mission team a number of years ago. We were working in one of those rural areas where most of the patients we were treating had never before seen a doctor. They would come in malnourished, anemic, or maybe just unable to afford the medicines that they needed to get well. The mission partners that we worked with in Honduras insisted that we charge 10 cents for every patient to see the doctor, and they would come and line up early and sit in long lines on benches or just standing all day in the hot sun, holding in their palms their 10 cents so that they could see the American doctor and maybe get some medicines. But one patient came in who lacked the ability to pay even 10 cents. He was very old, very frail, maybe, maybe he weighed 90 pounds, and he walked hunched over, leaning on a homemade cane. He was wearing a plaid shirt and a straw hat. He was clearly making his living, eking out a living in the mountains as a farmer. He saw the doctors, and then he walked several miles back home, and then he walked several miles back down to our clinic, carrying with him two pineapples that he had grown as payment for our physicians. 
I will never forget the look of joy on those doctors' faces as they embraced the pineapples. Jesus says that the widow gave more because Jesus could see that the woman had given from the heart, that she had given everything she had. Now, there are times, I, I believe there are times in all of our lives when we are eager to give of ourselves, when we give it our all, when we sacrifice our own glory for the welfare of others. So there are times when our giving doesn't seem to diminish us, but rather it makes us more of who we are. And at the same time, I think there are times in all of our lives when we are willing, but honestly, we're just going through the motions and still clinging to what is ours. We give, but we, we still have plenty left over to indulge ourselves. So how is it that God might remake our lives? How is it that we could find the joy that that woman had in giving herself away in love. This weekend, today, in fact, is graduation. This whole month of May is graduation for so many high school and college-age students. Sitting in the bleachers, a mom will watch her daughter cross the stage and reach out and receive her diploma, and the mom will breathe a sigh of relief. She will remember bringing that little girl home when she was only three days old in the car seat. She will remember enrolling her in kindergarten and then sobbing all the way to the office. She will remember attending dozens of parent-teacher conferences, and, and she will remember those days when her daughter forgot her lunch and she drove it up to school. And she'll remember in seventh grade hiring the math tutor and in ninth grade cheering her daughter on in the talent show. And the mom will celebrate the graduation, but deep down what she will feel is this. I gave her everything I had. I loved her beyond my wildest imaginings. And a dad will go to his son's final high school basketball baseball game and he will watch his son throw out the last pitch and make the final out. And he will remember taking his three-year-old boy to t-ball for the first time. And he will remember playing toss in the backyard when the, the glove was twice the size of his son's hand. And he will remember freshman year when he encouraged his son not to drop out of baseball even though he hadn't yet made varsity and he will remember cheering for him on those out-of-the-park home runs, and he will know, I gave him everything I had. I gave him my all. To be alive, you see, to be alive is to be a person capable of giving one's whole heart. Whether you give it to an elderly parent who has Alzheimer's or you give it to a toddler becoming a kindergartner, whether you give it to your best friend or you give it to a volunteer job that you are just so excited about. Sometimes all of us spend every penny of who we are out of love. The 19th century Danish philosopher Soren Kierkegaard often criticized people like me people like Joe, who are paid 
to be kind and religious. Kierkegaard noticed that Christian leaders might have good intentions, but sometimes their behavior is rather inconsistent. And so Kierkegaard told this parable called A Man Who Walked Backwards. He said, when a man turns his back upon someone and walks away, it is easy to see that he walks away. But when a man hits upon a method of turning his face toward the one he is walking away from, hits upon a method of walking backwards, while with appearance and glance and salutation, he greets the person, giving assurances again and again that he is coming immediately, incessantly saying, here I am, although he gets farther and farther and farther away by walking backward, then it is not so easy to become aware. And so it is, he said, with the one who, rich in good intentions and quick to promise, retreats backward further and further away from the good. Soren Kierkegaard called this the gulf between concept and capacity. What Jesus sees in the widow is someone who does not walk backwards as she places her two coins in the treasury, but one who throws her wholehearted love into generously giving to God. How do we become the kind of person who eagerly gives instead of being the kind of person who backs away as we give? How is it that God might remake us from the players who are willing to the players who are eager? Well, in the time of Jesus, widows were sentenced to a life of poverty, a life of dependence. It was nothing like this modern era where being a widow can mean taking cruises or exploring a new hobby. No, that was not the life of a widow in the time of Jesus. In the time of Jesus, if your husband died, you had zero inheritance rights. You could not inherit his business, his farm, his property, his house. The only option that you had as a widow was to either go back and live with your father, move in with your children, or maybe marry your husband's brother. As one person put it, she couldn't pull herself up by her bootstraps because she has no bootstraps. You see, the widow knows that nothing she has, nothing, belongs to her. Everything she has is pure gift. She is completely dependent upon the grace of other people and the grace of God. And this is how the widow becomes our spiritual mentor. This is how she confronts all of us who think sometimes that what we have is what we have earned or what we deserve. Stewardship says Peter Gomes, and this is on the front of your bulletin if you forget it, and it is the main point. Stewardship, rightly understood, proceeds not with what we give to God, but from what God has given to us. Jesus not only tells us, hey, look at that widow and see how she gives her life and love. But Jesus does the same thing. Jesus, who lived a life 
of humility and simplicity and poverty gives his whole life for the life of the world on the cross. Nothing can stop God's love for us. God keeps on loving every one of us, all of us together, no matter what. The gift of God's wholehearted love is lavished upon us, not only on the cross, but in cross-shaped love over and over and over again. I saw it. I felt it. Every time I traveled with our mission teams to Nicaragua, I sensed it from our group as we sat in a tiny village where the children went to school in a one-room schoolhouse with a dirt floor. I saw it as we worshiped alongside our Christian brothers and sisters in Nicaragua who had no organ and no piano and no uh, microphones. They just had a tin roof and a few sticks holding up the tin roof, and they sang a cappello, and they worshiped with passion. And we would worship alongside the local physician who was earning the top dollar for a physician in Nicaragua, $250 a month. And we were worshiping alongside the women who were getting up at 4 a.m. to feed us lunch and dinner and who were earning $1 to $2 a day. And we tasted with them the joy in life, the simplest life we could possibly imagine. And on those trips, we always realized that it was only by chance that each one of us was born in a country where education and freedom are taken for granted. On those trips, the scales would fall from our eyes and we would see that our good lives were not due to our good merit. Rather, life had come to us, to all of us, as a gift. I saw this play out in the actual design of the created order. When you're home with COVID for a long time, you have plenty of time to watch Netflix. So I watched this documentary about the national parks, not just in our country, but around the globe. And I learned that in the desert region of Africa, there is this bird called the sand grouse. After the sand grouse, baby chicks hatch. They need water quickly or they will die in the 100 degree heat in the desert. And so the father, sand grouse, flies 20 miles away to a river and he immerses his chest in the river for a full 15 minutes. His breast feathers are spiral shaped so that they can absorb water like a sponge. And when his breast is completely full of water, he and the other sand grouse fly back to where the mothers and the babies are. And they go to the nest and the baby chicks poke with their beak on the father's chest until they get enough water to drink. And the father sand grouse repeats this 20 mile flight for two months, day after day after day, until the babies can fly on their own. It is a miracle of love freely and eagerly given. All of us have been given the extravagant gifts of God, and it is up to us 
how to spend them, willingly or eagerly.